Well, it's a really a combination, and you're right. When I was in the ski racing world, I got to be all over New England, New York State, but Southern Adirondacks has got everything that you'd ever want. An incredible ski area, largest in New York State, fantastic lakes, rivers to paddle, fishing, hunting. There was no other option, really. This is the best place to live in the Northeast. Welcome to the storm. host, Stuart Winchester, going to the Empire State today in one of my personal favorite ski areas, Gore Mountain. We will get to that. First, a reminder to pop over to stormskiing.com and subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter. This podcast is just a small part of the storm. We have a number of multi-mountain pass partners debuting later this month, and I will have the full breakdown the moment each of those are live. For more frequent updates, you can also follow The Storm on Twitter or Instagram at Stormski Journal. You know what else you should do? Subscribe to Mountain Gazette. Issue 197 hit my mailbox the other day and this thing is just gorgeous. The first thing that hits you is a 12 page mountain climbing photo spread by Jimmy Chin. This is intense. I had to clip in just to look at this thing. Then there's an absolutely mesmerizing story by M. John Fahey about how he got tangled up with a career criminal, then a rad bike spread by Emily Tidwell, a long mingle with some Wyoming bighorns, an unbelievable view of the Guggenheim in Bilbao as you probably never considered it before, and just so much more. This thing is 140 pages and vanishingly few of those are clotted with ads. Even though it's already shipped, there is still time to get the biggest issue of the biggest outdoor magazine ever. Go to mountaingazette.com to lock in your subscription today. Mountain Gazette, when in doubt, go higher. Episode 94, Bone Base, General Manager of Gore Mountain, New York. New York is a tremendous ski state. It has more ski areas than any other state. 50 by my count. The biggest, and in my opinion, the very best of them, is Gore Mountain. If you're not familiar with Gore Mountain, stop right now and pop over to the article that accompanies this podcast on stormskiing.com and check out the trail map. Gore is an absolute monster. 108 trails, including 28 glades, sprawling over 448 acres. That makes the ski area bigger than Jay Peak and nearly as large as Stowe, and it has a larger vertical drop than either of them. Gore's sister resort, Whiteface, steals the headlines with its 3,430-foot vertical drop, which is the largest in the Northeast. But from a pure skiing point of view, Gore is the more interesting mountain, at least when the slides are not in play at Whiteface, which is about 98% of the time. With Gore's expansions onto Burnt Ridge in 2008 and then North Creek two years later, Gore has also grown and evolved more than any ski area in the east outside of Sugarloaf, Maine over the past 15 years. And since the state of New York, which owns the ski area and the Olympic Regional Development Authority, or Orta, which manages it, are always pumping money into the place, we are far from done here. There's tons ahead at Gore, and we are going to get into all of it today. Let's do it. My guest today has been the general manager of Gore Mountain, New York, since 2017. Gore Mountain is the largest ski area in New York State, with 120 trails and glades on a 2,000 537-foot vertical drop spread across seven mountain areas and 448 acres served by 14 lifts. Gore is one of three ski areas, along with Whiteface and Bel Air, owned by the state of New York and managed by the state's Olympic Regional Development Authority. He has worked at Gore since 1987. Bone Base is my guest. Bone, welcome to the storm. I really appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Stuart. Um, and thanks for having me. 
So let's get right into it here. How was the 2021 to 22 ski season at Gore Mountain, which was the longest season in the mountains history? Yeah, it, it sure was. We were uh, we were very excited to be able to make that goal and be open until uh, May 1st of this past season. But we um, overall we we had a good year. Um, we we certainly dealt with some with some weather issues. It seemed for a while that we couldn't get dealt a good hand. You know, we'd we'd get the snow down and we'd have some natural snow and everything would be just how we wanted it. And then we'd get a, a wet a wet weather pattern or a warm weather pattern, and we we'd have to go back at it again. But in the end, we were able to set a uh, a personal record for Gore Mountain. So myself and staff and, and, of course, all of our customers are pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was really impressed with that May 1st closing. I would love to have joined you. I broke my leg in February, so was unable to make the drive up. But how were you able to reach it, reach May for the first time in Gore's history? Well, I started talking about it with my uh, operations staff all around the end of February. I was looking around at, at snow that we had made. We, we had to make some additional snow in places this year for some test events that we, we had to perform um, as we get ready for the, the World University Games or our portion of that um, this coming season. And I said, you know, I think we've got enough snow on the ground that if we play our cards right, we can finally hit that goal of May 1st. So that's, uh, that's where it started. And, and uh, I'm not sure that that my staff believed me at first that uh, we were going to head that far out, but we, uh, we got it together and, and made some, some smart and strategic snowmaking conditions. Weather helped us a little bit. If you remember April, um, we still had a lot of, a lot of nights below freezing that also helped us achieve that goal. So now that you've done it once, do you think you'll go for it as an annual tradition? I certainly would like to. That, that'll be my plan going forward. You know, one thing that I really admire about Orta is they typically open as soon as possible. And the mountains push pretty late. Bel Air in the Catskills is uh, frequently one of the later ones to close. And Whiteface has made it to May before and did again this year. How much latitude do you have, Bone, and, and do the other general managers within Orta have to, to push the season on either end like that? We've got a fair amount of latitude through discussions with our CEO. If we can justify um, what we're doing and also make sure that, you know, we're able to handle getting people off the mountain if they get injured or uh, evacuating lifts if something like that happens. As long as the safety measures are in place, then we've got the latitude. And of course, as long as business keeps coming to stay open, to open early and close as late as we can justify Another thing that board has really done over the past several years is just invest really heavily in snowmaking. Just talk about the improvements in snowmaking at Gore in particular over the past several years and how much that contributed to you being able to stay open into May. Yeah, we've, we certainly have put a lot of capital into up upgrading our snowmaking system. Here at Gore, we've expanded our snowmaking reservoir from 25 million gallons to, to almost 40 million gallons. And that was a big project for us a couple of years ago. But we've also been switching out a lot of our older snowmaking equipment and bringing in more energy efficient equipment that really just does a better job and gives us a little bit bigger window of opportunity for making snow temperature wise. Currently, we've got six trails here that are fully automated, which is very helpful with staffing as well as being able to react quickly to shorter windows of snowmaking weather. As we start to see changes in our weather patterns, we're seeing sometimes only two or three hours a night where there's a perfect window for making snow. And with, with the automated or even semi-automated trails, we can react to that much quicker than in the old traditional style of snowmaking. Long-term, what is your goal? Is, is it to get open by a certain date? Is it 100% coverage on the non-glade runs? What, how, how do you quantify where you want to get Gore to from a snowmaking point of view? Well, each year we, we sit down in September and we start talking about it in August, but September 
my assistant manager and I will sit down and we'll start to to formulate our snowmaking plan for the winter as far as opening trails and, and expanding. You know, we always kind of look at Thanksgiving as a traditional opening weekend, but it, you know, if weather cooperates with us and we can start getting snow down earlier than that, we, we certainly do open before Thanksgiving when we can. And, and we've done that several times in the past. Have you ever, I'm not sure if you've done this in the past, but it seems like it'd be possible to maybe get Gore Mountain going earlier, ship skiers up on the gondola, even if you didn't have snow all the way to the base. Is that something that you've considered or done in the past or, or, or would in the future? Um, traditionally, we haven't done that for opening. There's been times when, when Gore has done that on the other end of the season and downloaded in the springtime. But we've not taken that approach yet for the uh, the opening of the season. But it's uh, it's something certainly worth considering, as generally the higher elevations get a little cooler. It certainly paid off all those investments in snowmaking, and the May first close was pretty impressive. I really hope you can do it again next year, so I can participate. Um, let's we'll talk about the mountain a little more in a, in a little bit. But as I mentioned in the intro, you've worked there since 1987. Did you grow up in the area? Did you grow up skiing? Um, I grew up outside in the Catskills, you know, out, outside of New Paltz, New York. And my family was was not a skiing family, but I um, I'm not sure what it was that uh, that motivated me to to want to ski. But I started asking my family to get me ski lessons and and drop me off at ski areas, and they were very happy to support that passion of mine and i've been skiing ever since i my first job in the ski industry was at oak mountain in speculator new york i worked at oak for a few years uh, before i came to gore at that time the time that i came to gore around 1987 there was pretty large exodus of staff from oak mountain that everyone had heard that gore was the place to be gore needed more people and we said hey let's give it a shot so i uh, i was one of those folks that uh, that came over at the same time our um, our longtime um, snow sports director gail setlock she came over at that time as well from oak mountain i started working ski school i did that for two years and then had an opportunity to go to work for the new york ski education foundation um, nicef which is the acronym they're the concessionaire on site that handles ski racing and events. So I went to work for them as a ski coach and events person, eventually became the program director for NICEF. We're coming up on my fifth, the end of my fifth year here as the general manager, and I was the program director at NICEF right up until the time that I uh, moved into this position. So as the program director at NICEF, I imagine you got all over the state and have probably been able to travel quite a bit. What is it about Gore Bone that was so appealing to you to make that your home? Well, it's a really a combination, and you're right. When I was in the ski racing world, I, I got to be all over New England, New York State, ski areas out west, depending on how our athletes are doing, summer camps at Mount Hood we would spend time at. But this area, this particular area, the southern Adirondacks, has got absolutely everything. You go other places and the mountain might be a little more appealing, but the area is not. Or, you know, I used to think for a while, boy, I want to move out west, but there's not that much water. And you, you end up in this part of the southern Adirondacks. I've also been involved in the whitewater rafting community for many years here in this area. And it, the southern Adirondacks has got everything that you'd ever want. An incredible ski area, largest in New York State, fantastic lakes, rivers to paddle fishing, hunting. There was no other option, really. This is the best place to live in the Northeast. So you're sort of tangentially involved with the mountain for a long time. In 2017, an opportunity came up to become general manager of the mountain when Mike Pratt, who had been GM there for many years, moved on to, to become CEO of Orta. How did the opportunity come up for you to take the Gore Mountain general manager job? And why did that appeal to you? Well, you know, the job became posted and, you know, I, I worked with Mike through my through my role at NICEF when Mike was the manager here. So we were on pretty good terms relationship wise from working together. And he uh, he had pointed out, he said, hey, 
phone, you know, this, we've posted the job for the general manager. I sat down at, at home with my family and, and said, boy, I'm thinking of applying for this job. And my family encouraged me to apply for it. Other staff around the mountain encouraged me to apply for it. And so I did and worked my way through the interview process. And, and here I am. So when you, when you arrived in 2017, Gore has gone through a lot of change very quickly. It's gotten a ton of investments. What were your primary challenges five years ago that, that you had to focus on as you adjusted to the, to the position? Well, when I, when I started five years ago, oh, I believe July 6th was my, was my first day. And the mountain had already started construction to rebuild the Santa Lodge and convert the old gondola offloading station at the summit into a warming lodge. So I, I walked into those projects that were already underway. And um, so I had to hit, hit the ground running. There wasn't, there wasn't much time to, <laughs> to sit in the office and, and uh, figure out what this job was all about. But I've, I've had great support from not only the staff here at Gore, but from the Orta staff in general to see those projects to completion. Yeah, and then we moved on to the tannery expansion off of the base lodge. And I've already mentioned the reservoir expansion. We've been busy. At the same time we did the reservoir expansion, we we also expanded our snowmaking pump house. Yeah, I haven't had much time to sit still in the last five years. <laughs> so you walk into a couple of big projects. Just talk about the team that you inherited at Gore, just the long time folks who oversee that mountain and the commitment that they have. You know, a lot of that credit goes to my predecessor. Um, Mike Pratt did a fantastic job encouraging staff, training staff, making the staff here feel that they're part of a family and that together we're able to achieve goals. And it's not one department alone on an island. Everyone here works together and works together well. The electricians know that if, if they need a hand from the lift mechanics, that they're going to get it and vice versa. It's a great family and, and really a great place to work. So Gore is uh, it's a really sprawling scary. I think folks who are not familiar with Gore will be pretty surprised when they look at the article that accompanies this podcast on stormskiing.com and take a look at the trail map. Uh, but it wasn't always that way. Talk about what Gore looked like when you first arrived in 1987 and took that first job. What what were you looking at then? It was still a, a, a large ski area by New York standards, but it wasn't what it is today. So take us back to that time. What did Gore Mountain look like in 1987? Good golly, Stuart. That... <laughs> That's not always easy to remember, but... Um... <laughs> Back to that time. But even even in 87, one of the reasons why Gore needed more employees at that time and, and that why a bunch of us came is because business was good. Lots of bus trips coming out of the city that needed ski lessons. The mountain, of course, had our old red gondola going, which was the uh, the first gondola in New York State. People wanted to ride that thing. Even though the mountain was large and has gotten larger, in 87, there was a certain wildness about the mountain. It was considered a, a skier's mountain, and uh, we can talk more about that a little later as to how that rolled into the development of blade skiing here. It was just a, a fun place to be that had good energy. People could sense that energy from lift attendants right up through any of the staff that were working here. And that, that rolled off into the uh, the people that wanted to ski here. Yeah, the ski area has certainly evolved and changed over the years. And over the past 15 years in particular, Bowen, I think that Gore has grown more than any ski area in the Northeast United States. So there was two major expansions. The first one was Burnt Ridge, which came online in 2008. Just take us through this. Why did Gore decide to make that big expansion onto Burnt Ridge? A couple of reasons. One, the thought was to, to try to move our race venue. Gore has been known for quality ski races for many years. And our primary race trail was um, a trail called Twister. We used to run downhills on that trail and, and all the other disciplines. It was time to uh, time to look at a bigger, wider. Um, skiing has changed, as you know, um, from narrower trails to, to a bit wider 
trails to accommodate not only skiing traffic, but the change in skis themselves, as well as working our way towards the ski bowl in North Creek. It was back in 2002 that the town of Johnsburg approved the concept that they wanted to re- redevelop the ski bowl part of North Creek. And in order for us to eventually achieve being there, Burnt Ridge is a key component in that as it gets us closer to the ski bowl. So in order to do that, was that state land? Did you have to require that land? Talk about the process of of making the whole thing happen. So how did you get the land? And then what did it take to actually get the trails and lifts in place? That is state land. Burnt Ridge is state land. And it was part of what's considered the intensive use area of the ski area. So that that was not a heavy lift there. But everything we do being a state-owned ski area has a unit management plan is what they're called. And all, all state land has a unit management plan that whether it's wilderness in the high, like I'll use the high peaks as, as an example of, of that um, and things that you can do in wilderness land or intensive use area land that the ski area is on. But it's a quite a long process to go through a change in your unit management plan where you have to put in all the items that you would like to include in that change or in that particular area. And in this case, Burnt Ridge proposed trails had to be mapped out. Tree counts have to be included for how many trees might be removed at some point, where lifts are going to go. Then that unit management plan eventually goes to a public hearing where people have a chance to to comment on that. And once that process gets completed, then the uh, the unit management plan gets approved by the DEC and you can begin. You know, you can begin cutting your trails or or uh, begin putting your lifts in, whatever is included there. How long did that whole process take? From, so you said in 2002, the idea came up that you, were, that, that you wanted to connect the traditional Gore ski area with the old North Creek Ski Bowl, which was at the time a lost ski area. So that all came around in 2010. Burnt Ridge opened, or I'm sorry, 2002. Burnt Ridge opened in 2010. How long did it actually take to build once you got all the permitting and everything in place? Burnt Ridge itself was a couple of years. The first year that uh, the Sagamore Ski Trail was open, it didn't have snowmaking on it. For example, snowmaking went in that following summer. Burnt Ridge came together fairly quickly all things considered. And then that gets us a little closer to the ski bowl. And we're finally moving closer in that direction this summer. We're currently cutting a new trail on Burnt Ridge right now that goes directly down to the uh, the bridges. If you're familiar with skiing gore and getting to the ski bowl, this new mm-hmm. trail comes down and goes right to the, the ski bowl bridge that will uh, put you right into the ski bowl proper. So uh, New York Ski Blog, Harvey Road, who, who runs New York Ski Blog, did a really nice write-up of that new trail a couple of weeks ago, and I'll include a link to that in the post that accompanies this podcast. Uh, but, but just tell us about that new trail bone, where it starts, and I guess how – this was Harvey's focus in the article – how it interacts with and changes slightly Bark Eater Glade, but manages to preserve the majority of that tree skiing experience. Yeah, we, we set out not wanting to disrupt the Bark Eater Glade. That glade is very popular. It's very important to us. So we started last summer walking the woods through there, and that continued throughout this past winter until we found what we wanted in this trail is we want it to be an intermediate trail. We don't need another expert trail over there. We want the majority of our skiers to be able to uh, ski that trail and enjoy it and be able to work their way to the ski bowl. So we took a lot of time to lay that out to get the grade that we wanted and find a way that disrupted the bark eater glade as little as possible. We believe that we've done that. I'm very excited about this trail. I I actually misspoke. The uh, Burnt Ridge opened in 2008 and Little Gore, uh, as it's now called the old North Creek Ski Bowl, opened in, uh, in 2010. So it's, it's been 12 years. Why was now the right time to cut that connector trail? It was, you you could obviously ski between the two before it was a little bit of a process. Wasn't necessarily super obvious to folks because you had to go down hedges and all the way around. 
to ski from Burnt Ridge over to, to Little Gore or, or go through the glades. So why was now the right time to cut this trail? Well, we've been trying to get funding in place to be able to expand at the ski bowl the way that we'd like to. And that includes at the ski bowl, we, we have plans to put in a new base lodge down there, replace a lift, cut some additional trails, and also put in a summer attraction. One of the issues with state land is that we're restricted from putting in things like zip lines or mountain coasters on state land. You know, that's the New York State Constitution spells that out. It was 1947 that New York State amended the state constitution to allow the cutting of ski trails, but they're pretty specific on how that needs to be and doesn't include summer attractions. So the ski bowl is actually town of Johnsburg property. So that's the property that would allow us to put in that and build a more robust summer business for us. So the stars have, stars have finally lined up or almost finally lined up to the point where it made sense now to go forward with that project. So yeah, so let's let's get into Ski Bowl a little bit because as you said, a lot of exciting things going on over there. Let's go back to 2010 when you opened this expansion. That, as I mentioned, was a lost ski area and was was brought back online with this expansion. Just talk about that whole project, how this idea came up and why Gore decided that it was it was feasible and and practical to expand all the way over into the classic ski bowl. Yeah, well, and I'll give you a brief history of the ski bowl itself, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do it. It was around 1932, the Olympics, the first Olympics that were in Lake Placid was 1932. And that really generated a lot of interest in winter sports in New York State. And the residents of North Creek or the town of Johnsburg that North Creek sits in decided they wanted to get some skiing going. They wanted a ski area. And at that time, they used logging roads. They re-cleared and started what they refer to at the time as ride up and slide down. That was the motto for North Creek. And they would take people by car and truck there were no lifts at that time and, and drive them up, up the Barton Mines Road and, and drop people off and they could ski back into North Creek and what eventually became the ski bowl. That was followed by snow trains that would roll into North Creek. There's a, uh, there's a rail line that comes into town and for a bunch of years, people would come up from New York City on the snow trains to go skiing at Gore. But about 1949, those trains stopped running. People decided that uh, cars were were what they wanted to travel in, and the ski bowl ski bowl operated for a number of years. It was town run for a while, and then kind of died off and grew back in. But North Creek has got this long and, and rich history of skiing at the ski bowl, so it makes sense for us to try to bring that back and also to bring more economy to the village of North Creek as well. So we've had long discussions with the town over many years as to how, how we want to do that. And here we are getting ready. It's a very exciting times. So when you were preparing to reopen the ski area, how much of the original trail footprint was left and how much did you just have to start over? We didn't have to start over with, with a lot. We were able to re-clear existing trails widen some in a few places, but it wasn't a heavy lift to get the trails going. A bigger project for us at the ski ball was putting in our, our Nordic system that's down there, which has full snowmaking capacity. And that that is done very well for us, especially as a Nordic race venue. Those trails down there are homologated. We're able to run a lot of higher end Nordic races there through the winter. And in general, that Nordic skiing opens at Thanksgiving time as well, when the rest of this ski area opens. So you mentioned you have a huge project that you just announced for the ski bowl, includes a lift, a, a new lodge, a whole bunch of stuff. Break that project down for us. Just give us the broad overview of what you have in mind and what your timeline is. Sure. I'll start with the lodge. Um, we're looking at an 18,000 square foot full service lodge that will be in the location of the original ski hut that was at the ski bowl. 
that original ski hut um, burnt down a bunch of years back and we're going to put the new lodge right in that same location the current triple chair that's there that known as the hudson chair we're changing the realignment of that if you were to look at that lift now the alignment if that lift is 12 o'clock the new alignment would be about one o'clock it goes a little further up and over onto the ridge there and that'll be replaced with a detachable quad that detachable chair will make it easier for summer foot traffic and mountain bike traffic the ski bowl i should point out is also right next door to the vanderwalker wild forest area which has got some great hiking trails it's got access to great backcountry skiing and then hopefully some additional mountain bike trails in the future in that area we also in this project plan to put in a uh, summer attraction it's a combination zip line rail attraction calling it a zip rail at the moment that we're keeping that a little bit under wraps because it'll be the uh, the first one of its kind anywhere in these parts so we're excited to be able to have that and we're feeling that we'll be able to bring in many thousands of people over the course of the summer seasons that will not only uh, visit our venue but also visit downtown north creek so a lot of different pieces of this bone when do you anticipate is the earliest that each each parts of this could come online, the lodge, the attraction, the lift? Well, we're currently working through some wastewater issues for the new lodge. And as soon as, soon as they get resolved, we'll be ready to start construction on it. I had hoped that we'd be starting construction this summer. At this point, I'm not sure if we'll quite get there this summer, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get maybe the new lift line cleared, maybe the space for the lodge cleared, some of the earthwork done, and be ready to go next spring. So is, is there potential that we could see that new high-speed quad online for the 2023 to 24 ski season? I'm thinking through my years here. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it, yes, there is. And, and what would happen to that triple chair? That's a pretty new chair. Yeah, it's not that old. And we're undecided yet if we want to keep that in the company. One of the benefits of having three ski areas in our fold is that we can move things around. So that's an ongoing discussion as to where, where that chair might go. Is there another place on Gore where it could go? No, not a place that I would like it to go. So the, from my experience, the ski bowl, I think a lot of folks, either they don't know how to get over there or uh, they just really like Gore Mountain. Is the hope that with building this new lodge and putting a high-speed quad in over there, that you could spread skiers out a little more by having two true base areas? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of our pass holders have figured that out. And when the interconnect is open, when those trails are open that get you there and back, um, we do have quite a few pass holders that'll park over there in the morning and access the mountain that way and go home that way. We also have night skiing there until uh, um, nine o'clock at night on the weekends. So folks that want to stick around and do some night skiing, that's a great opportunity as well. Do you think that you'll expand parking over there? Um, eventually we will expand parking over there, but that's also, you know, we need to work with the town to do that because the ski bowl is also functions as a town park. If you've been there in the summertime, there's ball fields, there's tennis courts, there's a pavilion, the town and the town parks committee. They're also in the process of rearranging the park a little bit. So we're, we're working with them to see what fits for parking and, and what doesn't fit for parking. So from a skiing point of view, that high-speed quad should give you a little more capacity than the current triple. Some of the original concepts that I saw for the North Creek expansion included more trails, skiers left of the, the lift there that would actually drop down into town. Is it still possible to expand in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. Skiers left off the top of the, the new lift. Yep, there are four trails there that have been approved. So that leaves us, we're not going to expand those four trails immediately, but uh, that gives us the opportunity to continue to expand that. Nice. And would those all be skiable 
from the top of the lift back to the bottom, the new high speed quad, would you need another lift in there or, or is the intention just expand trails, but, but one lift. And then you also have the village chair, obviously for the park down there, but one, one top to bottom lift at North Creek. Yeah, no, it's one top to bottom lift. Um, you could access those new trails all from the top of that new lift. So looking at, at the, at the footprint of Gore, I mean, it's, it's a really big place, as I said, seven different mountain areas I mentioned in the intro. We'll talk a little bit more about how you're expanding within that footprint in a moment. But other than those trails, skiers left off the top of North Creek, are we pretty much done with the basic footprint of Gore? There's a lot of peaks around there. Is there anywhere you could expand any direction or, or is the footprint pretty much set at this point? You know, the footprint is fairly set. You know, the state constitution, as written, allows us 40 miles of ski trails. And we're about 34 and a half, 35 miles of ski trails now. So we've got some room to expand, but we're getting to a pretty comfortable place. There are some things that I would like still. I would like another trail off of Burnt Ridge that brings you back into the base area. But outside of that, we're in a pretty comfortable place. I don't know when you've been up here last. Well, you said you broke your leg in in February. Um, Yeah, I was last up there last uh, March 2021. Yeah, so you weren't here at all last winter then. Um, so you didn't get to see, we've been working on improving our beginner terrain and our beginner areas. So the Sunway trail area, as you know, we've replaced a lift there two years ago and we've regraded and widened some of those trails that come down from there, the Sunway trails. So rather than continuing to expand, I feel it's better to continue to improve a lot of the stuff that we have to make it better for our skiers and be able to offer something for the entire family. So that 40 mile number that you gave, does that include your glades or is that just cut trails? That's cut trails. So let's talk about that glade network. It is really expansive, really impressive. It's one of the best glade networks in the Northeast United States. As you mentioned, when you arrived in 1987, at least from the trail maps I can see from that time, there were no sanctioned official glades on the map. So that's happened over time. Just talk about why Gore started aggressively building out these glades and how we've gotten to this point where we just have this seemingly endless network when the snow is good. Well, in my opinion, a couple things happened at the same time. We had people skiing in the woods that were not official glades, official trails. And we started seeing that there was a market for that. People wanted to do that. People wanted to expand. You know, telemark skiing has, has always been very popular here. And said, well, these people are in the woods anyway. Let's make it a little better for them. And so the, the glades began and we've continued to expand. There's, there's so many good places. Myself, I'm a big fan of glade skiing, always have been. So it, it's important to us to, to keep expanding those, keep them maintained when we can. And we have to do that very cautiously. You know, we can't just go in and, and start cutting trees down, but we can trim brush underneath or we can cut trees that have fallen over the summer or during a storm to keep those glades skiing well. So talk about the potential to continually build out glades at Gore. Are, are, do, do you intend to continue thinning them? And, and are there any particular areas you can tell us that you're looking to develop next? As far as glades, not in the confines of the ski area itself, but I had mentioned the backcountry skiing potential in the Vanderwalker wild forest. And I think that what you're going to see is once the new lift goes in at the ski bowl, also from the top of that lift, you can access that Vanderwalker wild forest very easily. And I believe that we'll end up with something that you see more out west, but a, a gated entrance to the backcountry that will become quite popular, that people can get out there. There's already a network of trails out in there. I don't know if you're familiar with the Raymond Brook ski trail at all, but that's a popular backcountry trail that, in fact, the town runs shuttles for on winter weekends and the start of that is off the Barton Mines Road and they bring folks up and they can ski all the way back to the ski bowl via that Raymond Brook Trail. And there's uh, other trails like that out in there. So rather than expand the glades on the mountain proper, people are going to have the opportunity to get out in the backcountry 
and find their own backcountry skiing. Would that require uh, parking a car ahead of time or, or skinning back to the ski area? How far out can you get there? You could go as far as you want. <laughs> There's, you, can, you can get out there in the woods. And if, if you were determined, you could get up to Garnet Hill Nordic Center. If you wanted to, if you, you'd have to cross a road in there, but there's trails that connect all through that. But you could turn around and ski back into the ski bowl. Absolutely. So talk about, I mean, you have, I don't know how many glades. It looks like about three dozen. Talk about the process of maintaining those and how much effort that takes just to keep them. I mean, obviously it's, you know, you want it to have that wild feel, but you need to keep it you know somewhat clear. So just talk about that effort and, and what it requires to keep those maintained each off season. And I guess what, what is the standard that you, that you have to maintain those two? The standard that we have is we send out a crew, usually in the fall, you know, trees, trees fall, <laughs> trees fall down year round. So the closer we can do it to opening, the better off we are. But we send out our crews to walk the glades, trim back anything that has fallen, cut any fallen trees that are out of the way, that need to be put out of the way, do some light brushing just to keep them maintained. You know, we need to be mindful and careful. We can't just go through and start cutting live trees in those gladed areas. That would be a a bigger deal to do that. So as you said, Gore has always been a skier's mountain. I have to imagine as you've evolved this glade network, it's become even more so. Just talk about the importance of that terrain variety and having that extensive network to to Gore's reputation among skiers and and how important that is to you personally, just as, as the person overseeing all this, to really offer that balanced experience to all different sorts of skiers. You know, I don't think that we're any different from any other ski area, but we recognize the fact that we've got families coming here where one part of that family may only want blue squares or green circles, and the other family is looking for more of a challenge. You know, sometimes it's not always the kids, but sometimes it's the kids that want to be in the glades and mom and dad don't want to be in the glades. We want to have something for everybody, and this is our way of doing it. You know, that's an important piece of the puzzle to keep people coming here. And are, are you uh, personally a Glade fan? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love it when they're in play at Gore. There's, uh, there's nothing better than getting lost in the woods there. Let's, let's talk about your lift fleet here, Bone. You have uh, just a ton of lifts there. You know, it's a pretty new fleet. It's in pretty good shape. But surveying the mountain, what is your wish list for lift replacements, upgrades, additions? As you say, we're in pretty good shape with our lift fleet but down the road i'd like to expand the village chair at the ski bowl and bring that up the mountain a little further that village chair is what services our our night skiing so i'd like to be able to offer a little more terrain for night skiing beyond that the straight brook chair lift seven that services the upper mountain hawkeye and, and chatamac and those trails that chair is in good shape but should be due for replacement in you know another five six years so we've got some time there the top ridge chair that one is also five six seven years out for replacement so we're doing really well as far as lifts go you mentioned in your notes that you sent me about the lift that we have out for bid currently that would replace our bear cub pama that'll be the next new chair to go here on the mountain proper and that will go up it won't be a very long lift but that'll go up to the lower part of the sunway trail and help to uh, service beginner skiers that's in an effort to continue to expand our learning and beginner terrain so let's talk about each of those. That learning center is a really nice area. It's actually where my daughter learned to ski. You have a really great group of instructors there. So there's, if I'm remembering this correctly, there's a couple of carpets sort of in a progression there. And then you have that Bear Cub Poma that runs parallel. Are you saying that the new lift would run actually higher uh, and, and go up to connect with the lower Sunway Trail? Absolutely. Yeah, the Palma would come out and that new chair would go up to the bottom of of Lower Sunway, the area where there was kind of a 90 degree turn in the trail that would bring you back to the the base area. So where Ward Hill meets Lower Sunway? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. So that's quite quite an extension. What would the new vertical drop then be for that lift? Um, 
Oh, it's not going to be much. I didn't, uh, I wasn't anticipating that question, Stuart. But, um, <laughs> but, but certainly more than the current Palma. More than the current Palma. Okay. But the ver vertical drop itself is only a couple hundred feet. It's not, as you, you know, the trail there is not, not very steep. And what kind of lift are you looking to put in there? Another uh, conveyor load quad, fixed grip. And would it load where the current Palma does, or, or would it load? Would you move the loading station somewhere else? No, it would load um, right in the vicinity of the current Palma where that loads. And would that cross over the carpets, or would it avoid them and, and go on a different, go on a line that didn't go right over them? Yeah, it doesn't go over the carpets. It, it's basically in the same line as the uh, Palma is right now. Well, that, that, that's a really interesting project. Do, do you have a timeline on that when you'd like to get that lift going? Possibly next summer. That's out to bid now. And, you know, no surprise, the lift companies are extremely busy. So we're waiting to hear when they can fit that in. Gosh, that, that would really make an excellent beginner area because you have those two progression carpets. Then you have the lift that goes up lower Sunway. Then you have the Sunway chair itself. So, wow, that's really exciting. Um, and then going up the mountain, you mentioned Top Ridge and Straight Brook could be due for upgrades. Top Ridge is a fixed grip triple. Straight Brook is a fixed grip quad. What do you have in mind for those lists? Have you given that any thought? Um, I haven't given it a lot of detailed thought, but fixed grip chairs are really a good chair to have, um, especially in my opinion, especially on, in upper mountain areas. They can run better in adverse weather conditions where the detachable chairs, they're wonderful, they're comfortable, they're, they're easy to load, they're easy to offload as a skier, but they do take a lot more maintenance and they don't run as well in times when you have freezing rain or heavy snows. You always have to be watching that cable and make sure that, that the grips aren't starting to slide on the cable. And so with a fixed grip chair, they're pretty much bomb proof and they, they can go all the time. That's the reason why when we replaced the high peaks chair, it was not a question for us. This needs to be a fixed grip chair. We need to be able to run that chair when we want to run it. It's another now great avenue to get to the summit if the gondola line is long or in the event you know, now we've got a backup as well. If for some reason the gondola was down, that high peaks chair, we know that's going to run and people can still get to the summit. Yeah, that is a, that's a great chair. And, a, and it, it replaced a, uh, a beautiful but less reliable old double chair. You did put a, uh, a carpet load on that. What, what's your verdict on the carpet load? Do you like that? Are you considering that for a straight brook or top ridge replacement? No, the, I think the carpet load is a great chair for that beginner intermediate skier. It's great for, for lessons. You don't end up stopping the chair as much when you've got beginners that are having a tough time loading. If you remember our old Sunway chair, that double chair that was there, that thing, we had to run it slow often just because people having trouble getting on and off the chair, have to stop it often because of that as well. And now with the carpet, we don't have those issues. And uh, if for Top Ridge, are you considering just another triple there? Or would you upgrade that to a quad? Well, now nowadays, the price between a triple and a quad is almost insignificant. So it, it would make sense to put a quad in. And then going over to the village chair that you mentioned, you said you wanted to take that higher. So those right now, there's two narrow trails that come down. And then they then they widen out to the terrain park. So where where would you like to bring the village chair up to, and would that require some trail widening or or a new trail? Well, I'd like to bring the village chair up to about halfway down the Moxham Trail in that vicinity. And I don't believe we'd need to do any trail widening. We would keep the same lift line where it goes. So the top of that chair would essentially be in what's a wooded area right now. We would need to cut a trail from getting off the lift out onto Moxham, but we wouldn't need to do any major trail work there to do that. R room then for some new glades under there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Village chair is a triple. Are you thinking a quad there? No, I think we can expand that chair as it is and continue it as a triple. Oh, that, that's interesting. Um, it, 
looking at the lifts you you currently have, I'm just curious, and, and this might be a, a pie in the sky idea, but but that's one of the things I do on this podcast. Have you ever thought about a second stage of the gondola that would go from the current terminal up to the top of Gore Mountain? No, Stuart, I've never thought of that. Um, <laughs> when the old gondola went away, people thought, they said, you know, what are we ever going to do? We'll never be able to get to the summit again the way the way that we always did. But when Bear Mountain opened, which is the top of the gondola, and that pod of skiing opened, it's been quite successful. And I think folks really like that area. We've got Top Ridge and Uncas to ski. I don't see the need for running a chair either or another gondola from the top of Bear to the summit. If I could dream up anything, I would look for a spot where I could put a chair that would get people to the top of Burnt Ridge from a different spot in the mountain, maybe from the bottom of the North Chair area, back up onto Burnt Ridge. But that I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. And how about a, a lift from the base, like where Adirondack Express 2 is, up to the top of Burnt Ridge? Is that anything that was ever considered? No, that was not considered or hasn't been considered at this point. The other question I always get a lot from folks who are new to Gore is, North Quad terminates right on the saddle there, right right above the Adirondack Express. Any, If you were ever to consider replacing that lift, is there any chance that, that would come up to the top of Bear Mountain where the gondola and the top ridge triple let off? I don't think so. I think it would make things a little confusing. So, and we haven't talked much about the North Chair. We talked you know, about some other chairs, but the North Chair, I hear from people that they think it runs slow. I think it takes too long, but that chair is a good operating piece of machinery that does what it needs to do. And, and that's also an underutilized little pod on the mountain as well. That's a spot where you can go ski if you come here on a busy day and you can ski those trails all day long and and have plenty of open space for yourself. They're nice long trails too. Uh, One more question about the development over at Ski Bowl. I'm curious if there's opportunities there to build up some slope side lodging, condos, hotels, something like that. That's one thing that similar size mountains in Vermont tend to have in abundance and and gorgeous doesn't. I, I think because it's on mostly on state land. Is, is that something that could eventually be developed at Ski Bowl or that, that's ever been talked about at Ski Bowl? Yeah, so we can't do that. We're you know a state-owned ski area. We can't be in the business of slopeside lodging or hotels, but there is a developer that owns the property right next to the Ski Bowl that does have plans for future condos and there's a hotel on those plans. The opportunities there for someone whenever they wanted to start and they would be right next to us, but it, it just wouldn't be on our property. We, we wouldn't be operating it. Yeah. You know, I, I love Lake George and it's a lot of fun to stay down there, but when I have the kids and we stay up there, I, I, I would like an alternative that doesn't require packing up the car every morning and driving 35 minutes up to the mountain. So that's good news. I'll, I'll look forward to that. Um, let's, let's talk about passes here a little bit, Bone. You have, since 2013, you've offered a, share pa- a shared pass, the New York Ski 3 pass, with Whiteface and Bel Air. Why did Orta decide to start offering this multi-mountain pass, and, and how has that been received in the, over this past decade? Well, it made sense. We have three ski areas, three alpine areas, and, you know, I should say, and two Nordic areas. Mount Van Hovenberg and, and the Ski Bowl Nordic. So it made sense. It, it gave our customers a better value in their pass. Though people traditionally, they uh, tend to pick a mountain as, as their home mountain, whether it's Gore or Whiteface or Bel Air, but they do travel back and forth. And it's great for our customers to be able to say, Gore's our home mountain, but we're going to go to Whiteface this weekend or to Bel Air. And people jump back and forth and gives them better value for their pass. So it was a simple decision, really, to do that. Bel Air still has a standalone pass. Gore does not. It's only available as a season pass on the Ski 3. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, and that's just what we perceive as customer-driven. You know, Bel Air's location 
its proximity to uh, further downstate to New York City, Long Island, northern New Jersey. They do have a lot of folks that don't want to venture further north than Bel Air. So the uh, the market is there for that um, Bel Air only pass. So the ski three passes from what I've seen, and, and again, since these are public ski areas, this is all public record. It, it appears as though those sales have been very strong since COVID hit. Do you see that momentum continuing, Bone, as we enter what will be now our, our fourth season of dealing with COVID in one way or another? Are our, our past sales strong so far for the 2022 to 23 ski season? I see it continuing, though I think it'll plateau. And you're, you're absolutely right. Before COVID, we averaged about 5,000 season passes at Gore. And then the following year, the first year of COVID, we were over 8,000 passes that we sold. Last year, we were over 10,000 Gore passes oh my gosh. that we sold. I think a, a couple of things are happening as window ticket prices continue to increase all throughout the skiing industry, but here as well, starts to make a little more sense to people to buy a pass where they can get the value of the pass cost by only skiing six, seven times a winter, and they don't have to worry about buying a ticket, waiting in line. It also, over the last couple of years, we've had limits on the number of day skiers that we were allowing here, and that was COVID-driven, but we never limited our pass holders. So that was also, I think, a, a big factor that drove pass sales. People said, they yeah, we're guaranteed we can come skiing when we want to ski. We don't have to worry about tickets being sold out. So in addition to the Ski 3 Pass, Gore, Whiteface, and Bel Air offer the Ski 3 frequency card. So that includes the first day when you purchase it, and then there's discounts on days after that. That's a nice little product. It used to be better. It used to include every sixth day for free. That benefit went away, I believe, with COVID. Why did you eliminate that benefit? And is there any chance that we could see that sixth free day return? That frequent skier card hasn't been unveiled yet for this year. And those discussions are ongoing. But that is a great product for people. It really equates to a discount card so that, you know, um, outside of the first free and the sixth free day, you're going to get a nice discount anytime you come skiing. And that product has been very popular with folks who only ski a handful of times a year, but it still gives them some good savings. But we'll see what that product looks like for this year. That's like I say, that's still being hammered out as to what that's going to look like. Another popular product for uh, frequency product for skiers was the Max Pass, which Gore, Bel Air, and Whiteface all participated in. Skiers would get five days at each of those mountains on the Max Pass. The Icon Pass ended up replacing the Max Pass, and that went away in 2018. A lot of uh, New York skiers I know are still traumatized by the fact that Bel Air, Gore, and Whiteface were not included. Why didn't Gore, Beller, and Whiteface join the Icon Pass when that product replaced Max? Well, at, at that particular time, when the Icon Pass first came out, their intention was to be more exclusive to resorts that had lodging. So we were not included initially. And then the Icon Pass, as, as you know, has expanded to many different ski areas from there. But though it's a nice product, and when we were part of the Max Pass, I felt it did pretty well for us. It certainly got a lot of people here that had never been here before, but currently we're happy where we're at. And we'll see, you're asking if we uh, will consider joining an Indy Pass or the Icon Pass. And we're always open to those considerations. But at the moment, I think we're pretty happy where we are. Yeah, I think those are two pretty different decisions, right? Because the Icon Pass would give, if you were to join that, would give skiers five days or seven days at your mountain, depending upon which version they, they took. And I, I guess you could make it Bel Air, Gore, and Whiteface, one single destination with five or seven days combined. And, and then Indy Pass is just two days. As you think about these different options, I, I guess the risk with Icon Pass is that it starts to cut into your Ski 3 Pass sales, right? So what sort of factors have you considered as you decided that, you know what, we're okay with what we have right now and we don't need to join another pass just yet? Well, mainly our business levels, really, Stuart. You know, our business levels have been good. We've been really focused on some other things as far as capital improvements go, getting ready for the World University Games. It's just not been a uh, topic on our forefront, I guess. All right. I want to ask you quickly about staffing. A lot of Skiria's had trouble 
staffing this past season, it, it seemed as though the state ski areas were okay. And I, I went to Bel Air a bunch of times, but I did not make it up to Gore or Whiteface. Just talk about how well you were able to staff up in spite of these shortages we were seeing throughout the industry this year. Was that an issue for you or, or, or were you able to work around it? And if so, how were you able to overcome these problems that all the other ski areas seem to be having? Staffing has been an issue at all of our venues, some departments more than others, but we were able to make it through. Our snowmaking staff was very light this past winter, but with the help of automation and semi-automated trails, we were able to make it through with the staff that we had. For us in particular, it seemed to be very spotty. Our grooming staff, we had no shortage of people that were willing to groom and, and wanted to groom, but ski school, we're starting to see a decrease in numbers of ski instructors. For example, lift attendants, we're starting to see a decrease in number of lift attendants, but our staff that we have were willing to go the extra miles to work the extra day if they needed to, to put it all together and get us through the season. So Vail Resorts had some issues staffing up throughout the country this year. And in response to that, they announced in March that they will be raising their minimum wage to $20 an hour for frontline staff nationwide this coming winter. I realize you don't directly compete with any Vail resorts there at Gore, but has Orta thought about how they're going to respond to this as far as a minimum wage goes? And is that set throughout the Orta system or or is that a mountain by mountain decision? Yeah, wages are set by Orta as a company. Our staff outside of management are members of CSEA union. And so that all ties into New York State. And it's not it's not an easy lift to just say, okay, we're going to pay everybody $20 an hour minimum wage. But I can say that talks have been going on at the upper order levels to address wages. I We won't see a, a $20 an hour minimum wage here, but I believe that our staff will see some increases and they already have seen some increases. We'll make it through. Well, you got a big year coming up. Last question for you today, Bone. You've mentioned the World University Games that are coming to New York State this winter. You mentioned that Gore is a venue. Just lay this out for us. When are the universe, World University Games coming? What role is Gore going to play? And how much of your attention is focused on this, getting the mountain ready for it? Well, perfect <laughs> question. So the, uh, the World University Games are January 11th through the 22nd this coming winter, 2023. And Gore is going to be hosting the freestyle events. That means that we're going to be hosting skier cross, border cross, slope style, big air, and the parallel snowboard events, parallel slalom and parallel giant slalom. So that's a lot of work for us, but we've been, I mentioned earlier in our talk today that we had some test events last winter. That was part of it, getting ready. And this summer we're busy daily. I have staff working daily to make sure everything is going to be in place outside of Ski events are easy for us. We've done events for a long time, but these events will be fully televised. There'll be a lot of extra folks here. It'll be a giant party, so to speak. Um, a lot of media we expect. Hopefully you're planning on being here, Stuart. Oh, definitely. And uh, a lot of added security. You know, we've, we've have athletes that are going to be here from around the world. It's a world university games. So it's an opportunity to really put Gore on the map in an international setting. So we're excited for it. It's taken a lot of our time and we'll continue to take a lot of our time right up until uh, the games are over. So what parts of Gore will be devoted to this and will the ski area still be open to the public during that time? Absolutely. The ski area will be open to the public. The uh, competitions themselves will be on wild air and the arena, so directly under the gondola. And the finish areas will be right here in the base area. So plenty of good uh, viewing opportunity from our patio or even out the bar windows to watch those events as they happen. It'll be a little cumbersome for guests, even though we're going to be open, you know, there will be security that you have to walk through to get on the mountain. But if you want to come and not be part of the games or not stand and watch, you'll certainly be able to jump on a lift in the base area and head out to the rest of the mountain and have the normal skiing that folks come here to enjoy. 
just real quick, I want to give a, a shout out to your parks crew. They just, I'm not a, a big parks guy myself, but the size and the scope of what they've been building for years, particularly on wild air is, is just astonishing. Just talk about that crew that you have there and just how good they are at what they do. Well, I'll start with their passion. <laughs> These guys eat and sleep terrain parks and they're always walking in the door here with a something that they've sketched out and they say, you know, hey, we want to build this jump or we want to install these rails over here. Just something that they love to do and they get incredibly excited when they see positive feedback on our social media sites for the efforts that they put in. But it it's a huge effort for them to get it done because not only are they here during the day, but they're here overnight is when they build and groom these things. We've had a lot of good help in the last couple of years from our friends at Arena Snow parks who have come in and done some clinics with us and always increasing education for our terrain park staff so that they can uh, achieve what they want to do. All right. Well, the world will get to see their handiwork on TV this coming winter. I wish you the best of luck, Bowen. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us while, while you're getting ready for this enormous event. Sounds like it may be the biggest event in Gore's history long history. So thank you very much. I, uh, I can't wait to get up there this winter and see some of the new stuff happening and hopefully make it up for the games as well. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, Stuart, thank you for having me. Hopefully we can talk again soon. That's Bone Base, General Manager of Gore Mountain, New York. Thank you very much for that, Bone. Really excellent job. We didn't talk much about this, but Gore has a certain vibe that's like nothing else in the country, and Bone embodies that vibe perfectly. If you haven't been to Gore yet, if you've overlooked it because it's not in Vermont or it's not on one of your mega passes, you're making a mistake. Just go there. Gore is incredible. So thank you all for listening. I know you were getting used to a podcast every six days. But that was a happy collision of circumstance that gave you that flood of content in June. Slowing down to a more typical summer pace now, I will have a conversation with Bogus Basin General Manager Brad Wilson for you very soon. That one is already recorded and Brad is an industry legend. Then we will check out a little rope toe bump in Michigan called Mulligan's Hollow. Before I deliver another monster to you, a conversation with Mount Hood Meadows CEO Matthew Drake. Then I have 16 more podcast conversations scheduled through the end of the year, including a couple new ones I booked just recently and that I am very excited to announce here. Winter Park, Colorado President Sky Folks will join me. And then I will give you the snowmaking podcast that so many of you have been asking for as we connect with SMI Snowmakers President Joe Vanderkellen. To get those as soon as they're live, sign up for the Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. There are free and paid tiers of the newsletter, and paid subscribers do receive podcasts three days before everyone else. You can also follow the Storm on Twitter and Instagram at Stormski Journal. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.